We are making our way through the letter of James uh, in the New Testament, and uh, today we come to uh, this particular passage, which we'll put up on the screen, so you can read along with me from the first chapter, beginning at verse 22. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Amen. A pastor and uh, the CEO of a soap company were walking along, and the soap maker said, you know, what good is Christian faith? You know, with all the troubles and all the misery, all the suffering in the world, uh, why is it, you know, after thousands of years of, of teaching and preaching about goodness and truth and love and peace after all the prayers... I mean, if Christianity is true, why should this be? Why such trouble in the world? And the pastor said nothing, but they continued to walk along until they noticed a child playing in the gutter. And then the pastor said, look at that child. You say that soap makes people clean, but look at the dirt on that youngster. Of what good is soap? With all the soap in the world, the child is still filthy. I wonder how effective soap is at all. And the soap maker, you know, he immediately protested, well, you know, the soap isn't effective until it's used. And the pastor says, exactly. That's how it is with faith. Faith is ineffective unless it's used and applied. Well, James would say that such a faith, a faith that's not used or applied, is not only ineffective, but it's dead. Listen now uh, to James a little bit later on in his letter where he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Christians can talk a really good game, but faith must lead to action, or it's no faith at all. Uh, it seems like, you know, in the churches... Uh, you know, there's this tendency to think that because we've talked about it, that we've actually done it. 
<laughs> that happens a lot in church. We talk about it. We talk about prayer, and then we think we actually did it. Well, it's different. Now, a lot of press has been given to the rise of the nuns. Now, I'm not talking about Roman Catholic sisters, right? But the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. These are the people that claim no religious affiliation whatsoever. And, and there are more and more of those folks in our country. In fact, it's probably most rapidly growing in the Pacific Northwest. And it's true that fewer people are attending church these days. But still, according to a recent Pew Research survey... The numbers of self-identified Christians in our country is still very high. Seventy percent of Americans would call themselves Christians. Now, I got to thinking about that, okay, seventy percent of Americans are Christians. What would happen if 225 million people actually took their Christian faith seriously and practiced the teachings of Jesus. Can you imagine such an outpouring of love and compassion and, and the light of Christ going out into all the world? What would happen? But today it seems we have lots of belief, but we don't have a whole lot of corresponding action so that the light of Christ stays hidden under a bushel. So listen again to James. This is kind of the gist of what he says in this verse. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So James is thinking about a person who gathers on Sunday mornings, you know, with his fellow Christians, and he's worshiping God, and he's singing praises, and he hears the Scripture read and preached and somehow he thinks that because of his listening, that has made him a Christian. It doesn't occur to him that what he has read and what he has heard in church must then be lived out. He's only deceiving himself if he believes that nothing else is required of him, that all you have to do is sit in church and listen and hear. And then James goes on to say, it's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But thinking about this image of the Bible as a mirror. Now, a mirror gives a true reflection of ourselves. I mean, unless we're looking at one of those crazy, you know, those, those mirrors at carnivals, you know, that make you look really thin or really fat or whatever. And we're, we're talking about a true mirror here. A mirror gives us a true reflection of ourselves. Spiritually speaking, therefore, the Bible is a mirror that reveals our true condition. So we look into the book and we see ourselves as we, as we really are. And we see what needs to be corrected, what could be improved, what we need to do. The Bible exposes us and it convicts us and it inspires us. This is a book, the Bible is a book that understands us. And God speaks to each one of us personally through it. There's a story about a fellow by the name of Emile Caillé. Uh, he was a brilliant philosopher, uh, professor of philosophy. He, he taught at the University of Pennsylvania and then later at Princeton Seminary. 
Uh, he was a young French soldier during World War I, and uh, because of all that he had witnessed, you know, the incredible violence and the mayhem and man's inhumanity to man and all the suffering, that experience of World War I turned him into a hardcore atheist. I mean, he was just mad at God for the whole thing. So he would have nothing to do with the Christian faith or with church, and Kaye informed his wife that no Bible would ever be allowed in their home. And yet, he found himself longing for meaning in his life. And, and uh, Kaye was a great reader, I mean, a voracious reader. He read everything that he could get his hands on. And when, whenever, as he was reading along, he found something that moved him or inspired him uh, in some way, something that, that spoke to his yearning for, for meaning and for wisdom, he was very careful to write it down in a notebook. And his hope was that this, this growing compilation of passages and, and notes would become a book, a book that he could turn to, a book, as he said, that would truly understand him, a book that would counsel him and guide him through the hardest times. And so, one day when that, when that, that notebook was a sufficient size and it did kind of become a book for him, he sat down with it in hand. And he opened it with eager anticipation, thinking about how this book was really going to lift him up and inspire him and help him. But as he started reading through it, he was filled with disappointment because he realized that he had changed. And so when he was looking at this book of all these inspiring passages, he was kept saying to himself, why did I think that was important? I mean, why did I include that? And Kaye you know, he basically became very disillusioned, bitterly disillusioned with his project. Uh, you know, it just seemed like wasted effort. All this stuff in this book just wasn't speaking to him. So, aware of his deep disillusionment, his wife handed him a Bible, even though she knew that uh, he had forbidden the book from even coming into their home. And Kaye looked at this book and he says, a Bible? I've never seen one before in my life. And then Kaye says, I literally grabbed the book and rushed to my study with it. He opened it at random and he came to the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are you who are meek, blessed are you who are poor in spirit and so on. I read and I read and read, now aloud with an indescribable warmth surging within. I could not find words to express my awe and wonder. And suddenly, says Kaye, the realization dawned upon me that this was the book that would understand me. He read deeply into the night. He read mostly the Gospels. And as he read, the one of whom they spoke, the one who spoke in them and was depicted in them, came alive for Emile Kaye. And he came to realize the Bible was the one book that he had been looking for all his life. He found it to be alive and inspired and relevant. It convicted him. It challenged him. It moved him. It counseled him. And Kaye became a Christian. As I say, he eventually taught philosophy at Princeton Seminary. But he discovered the truth of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, which reads, For the Word of God is alive and active 
sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. He found that this book, the Bible, the Word of God, truly understood him. He found that God was speaking to him personally and directly. He discovered the Bible to be a kind of mirror. It showed him who he truly was and what he most needed to know. How sad then it would be for someone to listen to what it says, as life-changing as the Bible can be, and not act upon it. So many Christians, however, fail to take the Word of God, the Bible, very seriously. They quickly glance at it as though they were glancing in a mirror and and only to forget who they are and whose they are and what they need to do. So says James, anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, imagine getting out of bed in the morning, going to the bathroom and looking at the mirror. Don't you just hate that? <laughs> and you got bed hair. You know, there's hair sticking out everywhere. And, you, you know, you look, you look miserable. And, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, imagine, you know, looking at the mirror, knowing what you need to do, only to leave the mirror and to forget what it was calling you to do. And off you go to work looking like that. So that looking at the mirror actually makes no impact on your life. We glance at it and we move on and we do what we want to do. And so, you and I can hear a great sermon on the on the grace of giving and all about generosity, a sermon drawn right from the Scriptures, and we all nod in agreement, and we, and we say, yeah, let's be generous, but then we can keep our purses tighter than tight. Or we can read about the Good Samaritan, about the, you know, the, 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 the priest who uh, went you know, around the guy who was suffering, went by on the other side, and we can say, what a terrible person that guy was without even realizing that maybe that guy was us. Or we applaud the principles of the Sermon on the Mount, and we think it's just wonderful words of inspiration and challenge, and yet we live as though we've never heard it. So the problem is, is that you and I tend to approach the Word of God in Scripture much too casually. We're only glancing at it. And many times, we're only looking at what we want to see. You know, we don't see the other parts, don't see the parts of challenge, things that might question our beliefs. So we pick and choose, right, what we want to believe and not. So we're only glancing at the Bible. On the other hand, James goes on to say, the person who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. In other words, the person who takes the Word of God very seriously, not glancing at it, not allowing it to go in one ear and out the other, but intently 
listening for the word that God is addressing to him or to her, not forgetting the word, but actually doing it and continuing to do it, will find blessing. Because not only will orphans and widows actually be cared for, but the doer himself or herself will find meaning and fulfillment and freedom. James says, the Word of God is the perfect law of liberty. Hearing and doing the Word of God brings true freedom. Now, there are many folks in our society today that defines true freedom as the absence of all constraints, right? Freedom is to do whatever you want, when you want to do it, without being accountable to anybody else but yourself. That's to be free, so I can do whatever I feel like doing. No constraints, no sense of accountability to a higher power or to a higher law. Uh, and if you should give yourself to some other higher law or purpose, then in their mind, that's a form of slavery, that's bondage. But they have it all wrong, you see. It's just the opposite. God's law, the teachings that we find in Christ, the Old and New Testaments, is the perfect law that gives true freedom. To live God's way is liberating. The more you and I obey God's Word and put it into action, the more we become who God made us to be and the more free we will be. We are most free when we are living according to God's original design for us, and that design is given to us in Scripture. Now, I'm in danger here of mixing metaphors, but we've talked of the Bible as a, as a mirror, right, as reflecting our, our true condition. It tells us who we are and whose we are and what we need to do. But I also like to think of the Bible as something kind of like an owner's manual, when you buy a car, you get the owner's manual. But you know what you shouldn't say or you don't say? Oh, man, this is just going to restrict my freedom. I've got all these rules of operation that has, to, that has to be followed. But you know what? I'm not going to follow it. I know the car needs oil, but I'm not going to put it in very much. I want to save money. In fact, I resent all these other restrictions. I'm not going to follow the owner's manual at all. I want to be free. It's my car, after all. But you know what the manufacturer says? He says, you know what? I built the car. Of course, the, the owner's manual says there are certain restrictions. You can't do this. You shouldn't do that. But you should do this. You have to spend money on this. But you know what? It matches the design. It corresponds with the nature of the vehicle and therefore freedom for the vehicle. If you ignore the restrictions, you're not going to end up a happy camper. Your car will come to ruin. If you want to be free to drive, 
you want to be free to be free to use it, if you want to be free to go wherever you wanted to go, that freedom comes from restricting yourself to what the owner's manual says. And so for the Bible, you see, freedom is the right restrictions that fits who you and I are, who we were made to be. The Bible is our owner's manual, and we ignore it to our peril. Do you realize that there is only one person who lived perfectly by the owner's manual and fully demonstrated for us what a truly human life lived God's way looks like, modeled for us? Jesus Christ was the only person who never forgot the Word of God, but He did it 100% of the time. Jesus was always listening to Scripture. He was intently looking at it and talking about it. We have about 1,800 verses uh, where uh, Jesus is saying something. And you know what? 10% of that are quotations from the Old Testament. He was a man who knew, of course, his Bible inside and out. He looked intently at the Bible, the, the perfect law of liberty, lived out every word. He completely submitted to the word. He was the only one who fully practiced what he preached. You know, if you want to call Jesus a religious leader, I know that he was much more than that, but among all the great religious leaders of the world, you know, Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, you know, they never fully practiced what they preached. Jesus did. Now, if it were up just to you and to me and to our own willpower, you know, we would accomplish very little. In fact, Jesus says at one point, apart from me, you really can do nothing. We're called to live a different kind of a life, you know, life that's free of the pollution of the world, as James says, but more than that, you know, we're called to, to live a great life, caring, concern for others, for widows and for orphans. But the thing is, is that, at least speaking for myself, I'm not a very good listener and I'm not a very good doer. We can be all messed up, you know. I mean, there are times when, you know, we've heard a great sermon on compassion and out we go and, we, and then somebody cuts us off in traffic and, man, sometimes we can't get out of the parking lot <laughs> before, before the old nature takes over, right? But thank God we know the one who has paid the price for our sins and for our failures, who covers us with His grace, who offers us His forgiveness, and by His power has set us free to live a new kind of life. I mean, we can make progress. We can do so much more when He's in our life and He's empowering us. And you know what? There is great reward in that. Because it leads to a life of true fulfillment and real freedom and the greatest joy. If you and I will but, will but listen to Him and do what He says, we will be blessed. So know this, 
The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. You can count on those words, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them, all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. So, dear brothers and sisters, let us not merely listen to the Word and so deceive ourselves, but let's do what it says. It's the way of freedom. It's the path that leads to joy. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you that uh, we're not left in the dark about who you would have us to be, what you would have us to do, but we have your word, we have the written word. Lord, help us be more diligent in its study. May we look more intently into its truths and dig for its treasures. And then, Lord, whatever we find, as your spirit brings them to our attention, May we have the strength and the power, your power, to help us do it. Because what is faith if it's not applied? Indeed, it's a bogus kind of a faith. Lord, spare us from that. Thank you for modeling for us what a, a life, our life, ought to look like. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, day by day, as we look into your word, may it more and more reflect who you are. To you be all the praise and all the glory forever and ever. Amen.